Thank you, Emmanuel, for that prayer. Thank you, guys. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Are we still basking in the globe? A Rangers World Series win? Is that happening? Goodness gracious. You know, it's funny. I was, I was traveling this week, and I was at a conference, and people were like, hey, where are you from? And I was, like, I was telling them I'm from Arlington, and then they are like, Man, the Rangers, what a great team, what a great team. I met several Dodger fans who miss Corey Seager immensely. Aren't you glad that we have him, right? Amen? Amen. I'm so thankful for this morning, and I know we're going to celebrate. We're going to love on the Brewbreakers in a minute. I just want to share a short word um, this morning, but so glad that you're with us. If you're visiting for the first time, welcome. Thanks for joining us online as well. I think this is a great one. Just want to make sure that you know, like we're going to have a reception afterwards with cake. There's a table, if you haven't seen it already, that you can write thank you notes to the Brewbreakers family. There's a little bowl there. If you want to throw a little love offering their way, you could do that as well because they are moving in what, like a week? Something like that? Week and a half? Yeah, something like that. So let's pray for them as they transition from here to there, right? Amen. Last week we were in our series... Um, We in a me-centered world. We in a me-centered world. And the idea is is that everything in this world screams me or you or I. Isn't that true? Everything. Like you can set up your phone however you want. You can set up your computer however you want. You can have a curated list of what Netflix tells you to watch. You don't tell Netflix what to watch. It tells you, by the way, right? There's an algorithm there. Have you ever noticed that, how it always pops in? Everything screams however you want it is me. But actually, the kingdom is different, isn't it? It's not a me-centered world. It's actually a we-centered world. And so that's a series we've been in it for several weeks, just looking at different topics on how we can rewire our brains and our hearts to stop thinking me and start thinking we. Start thinking me and start thinking we. And so last week, we talked about we-centered prayers. And what does it look like for us to Pray in the way that God would ask us to do. And what does it look like for us to pursue we center prayers on a daily basis? And it's simply this. God's, we put God's needs and plan above our own. Last week we looked at the, the Lord's Prayer and the disciples said, Hey, Jesus, like we're your followers. Teach us how to pray. You ever feel like maybe your prayers are ineffective? You ever feel like your prayers aren't being heard? Well, Jesus said, well, actually, here, let me teach you how to pray. And he did it very quickly and very succinctly in about six or seven verses. He says, actually ask God for his kingdom and his will and his plan to come on earth as it is in heaven. And if we ask for that first, and then we ask for our daily needs second, even though God already knows the passage Jesus was teaching, is like if you ask, you actually know, he already knows what your needs are. Before we even ask, so that thing that you walked in with, I don't know, like Eric said in the last song, who's seen God move on their behalf in a miraculous way? And just about everybody raised their hands. That thing that we needed God to move on in our past, God already knew what that was before we ever asked. And so the thought there is this we-centered prayer life that we're trying to get at is, We don't have to spend so much time asking for our needs. Instead, we could actually pray for God's will and kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. I just love that picture. God has it covered. And so I don't know about you, but like I have lots of needs. Like we have lots of needs. There's family stuff going on and there's health things and there's things in the world that occupy our attention, good and bad. There's 
the Netflix that I want to show that I want to watch next and all those things. But we don't have to spend so much time asking for our needs because we serve and love a God who knows what they are before we even figure those out. I just love that picture. Before I even know what my need is, God's like, no, I got you, boo. I got you, right? You could laugh at that. I threw that in at the end. That's totally fine. Did I not land it? What should I say again? I got you, boo. Is that better? Was no. no. I thank you very much. I appreciate that. And so something I meant to say last week and I didn't, so I want to say it now. If we had the ability to answer our own prayers, I just want you to think about it. Whatever you have in front of you, whatever you have on your heart, whatever your need is, if God granted us the ability to, to write the own answer in the blank space, this is the answer to the prayer that I'm praying right now. The reality of it is, is this. Without God's infinite wisdom and perspective, because he brings an eternity, outside of eternity, he brings infinite perspective to what it is that we need, the answer that I would write in my own blank space would come up so short. Isn't that true? It would come up so short because I would miss so much of what he's up to in my life. Because it's in the answering or in the waiting or in the non-answers that he, do, he moves and does so much in our lives that we would miss out on. And so I just want to say that this morning, and I'm going to share just a few truths. But truth number one, God's answers to prayer are better and more wise than our preferred answers to prayer. God's answers to prayer are better and more wise than our preferred answers to prayer. So I don't know about you, but just like my Netflix queue or whatever else, like I've got this kind of idea of what it is I think I need. But then I come to grips with, actually, God's ways are better. They're not my ways. His answers are better. They're not my answers. His timing is better. It's not my timing. His wisdom is better. It's not my wisdom. And how we would leave so much on the table if I just got the fill in the blank to my own prayer request list. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus spoke the, Lord, uh, the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. It's his first teaching to his followers. And so we're, this morning we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. And the, the title for the passage or the sermon this morning is The Values of a We-Centered Life. Last week we looked at what are we-centered prayers. Today, we're going to look at the values of a we-centered life, and we're just going to back up just a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount. Quite possibly the best sermon in the Bible, right? It goes for several chapters. But what I think is interesting is that we're going to sit down. If we're going to sit down and, like, whiteboard what Jesus is going to talk about, right? Think about that. Like, imagine we have a whiteboard or in your journal, or in your Bible, you're like, I'm going to sketch some ideas that I think are important that Jesus probably should talk about. Wouldn't we say that prayer is number one? Isn't that how we experience the kingdom? Don't we look at the kingdom, move, and work through prayer? Well, what's interesting to me is that's not topic number one. Although prayer is an essential part of the Christ life, that is not his first topic on the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, Jesus covers Ten topics before we hit the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6. Ten topics in one chapter. And we're going to look at the very first topic this morning on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the Beatitudes. And here's why. Because I don't know about you. Like, I'm like, God, why would you order it this way? Because I don't know about you, but I feel the pressure that I don't pray enough. I don't pray the right prayers, right? That's why we looked at what we did last week. 
But why would Jesus talk about the Beatitudes? I think it's this, because as humans, we jump right into the doing, don't we? Don't we just jump right into just, okay, show me what I got to do. Let me check the boxes, and then I can move on with my world, right? I can move on with my day. But God's not concerned with what we do. He's concerned with who we are and what we feel and who we're made to be. Because doing follows being. He's concerned with the heart. And the heart is reflected in the Lord's prayers. By the way, um, seven of the ten topics are also heart-oriented. See if any of these kind of speak to you. But it's like Jesus talks about anger and lust and oaths and retaliation and loving your enemies and giving to the needy. But the thing is, is God is not concerned with us doing the right things. He is, but not only concerned with doing the right things. He's first concerned with the heart feeling the right things. So that's how he starts the sermon, which brings us to truth number two. Doing follows the feelings of the heart. Doing follows the feelings of the heart. It just does. But we get reoriented, right? And, we, and Jesus' kingdom is upside down to the world's wisdom. But we, unfortunately, look at it with the eyes of this world. It's like, well, let me get to the doing part, and then my heart will kind of catch up. You ever feel that tension in your life? Man, if I could just get on the way, then I could figure out my mind and my heart's going to kind of align with what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. But actually, Jesus wants it the other way. He wants the heart to come first. I want to show you an image of the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount, this is Northwest Galilee on the Sea of Galilee. And so likely this is where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. And it says, the Bible says, in a flat place. And at this point, you've got the crowds surrounding him. He's very, he's, he's, he's being bombarded by these large number of crowds in the countryside. People are coming from all over to hear what he has to say because he's different. Because if you think about it, if you know anything about the Bible, right, up until this point in Jesus' ministry, the, the religion of Judaism was do, 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 do this thing. Do this thing. Make sure you do it this way. Make sure you do it that way. And you're good. And Jesus came to reveal the kingdom in a new way, which actually, it's the same old way. It was never about the doing. That was supposed to drive us to our needs. It was supposed to change our heart to realize that we can't do all these things, to stay in a right relationship with the Lord. And then Jesus blows all that open. So I'm going to read you the first 12 verses. But before I do, just I want to back up just a few verses. And in 23 of chapter 4, it's just right at the end. It's not going to be in your board, but just follow along. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, if you want to flip there. And it said, and he went throughout all Galilee. That's where we are. And teaching in, the, in their synagogues. Those are just the little churches outside of the temple in Jerusalem. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is this. Get your heart right. Not your hands. Get your heart right. In healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so his fame, Jesus' fame, spread throughout all Syria. Now, we're not just talking about Galilee. We're talking about everywhere now. He's starting to become more popular and more known. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So everybody's coming, right? 
Kind of like there was a World Series championship parade, like where everybody showed up, right? Because they knew this thing was happening, so we were going to show up. It's interesting. How, how big is that ballpark? What, 40,000 or so? Is it 40,000? Is it 50? I don't know. 40? Flo will know. Yeah, 40. So, right? So, like, over a half a million people showed up for the parade. How many ballparks is that sold out? For those of you that are math majors in the room, because I'm not... A lot, right? So that's kind of what this is. This is the kingdom's uh, procession, and it's shown up, and here we are in verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1. And Jesus says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Remember the picture we just showed you? Went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. So he's surrounded by all the people, but it's his disciples, it's his followers. Probably the 12 are there. But there's more than 12 followers, and so they just kind of start. So I want you to get this image of Jesus sitting down, his disciples encircling him, his followers. I don't know how they heard because it's kind of hard to hear without a PA system outside, but there you go. He's Jesus. He can do what he wants. And he sat down, and his disciples came, and he opened his mouth in verse 2, and he taught them, saying, Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then here's the payoff. Verse 12. Let this work its way into your heart this morning. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted you and the prophets who were before you. I don't know about you, but when I read the word blessed, and then I read what comes after each of those words, I don't think blessed, do you? Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the, who the mourn, blessed who are hunger, blessed are those who are merciful. Like, I don't think blessed. And so Jesus, as he often does, he teaches in puzzles and paradoxes. These are meant to be confusing because... When you teach in a confusing way, it highlights the things that need to stand out. Because I don't know about you, but this is like, man, I thought blessed means that you are full in spirit or rich in spirit, not poor in spirit. Or I thought blessed meant that actually I'm celebrating, I'm not mourning. Or that I'm strong and I'm not meek. That's the point of a paradox, isn't it? It's to stand out. And so what Jesus is saying, if we take these words to heart this morning, not only do his words stand out, but when we adopt them into our lives as values of a we sinner kingdom, then we begin to stand out too. See that? When we adopt them, when we incorporate them, when we dig them in, when we sow them in and water them with our experience and our journey following the Lord, then we begin to stand out as well. We begin to stand out well. And which brings us to truth number three. The nature of the kingdom is the flow from the inside out. These are heart things 
not hands things first. The nature of the kingdom is to flow from inside out. And so if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, our hearts turn first, don't they? Think about that. When you cross the line of faith, like what changed first? Was it what you were doing or was it what you were thinking and feeling? It's your heart. And so that's what Jesus wants to highlight this morning as our hearts continue to turn toward him and away from the me-centered world that we're leaving behind. And when it turns toward the we-centered world that's in front of us, slowly our actions do so as well. The nature of the kingdom is the flow from the inside out. I said a second ago, that word blessed, how it seems a little paradoxical, doesn't it? Because I don't know if those are blessed. We read blessed as an American, we think, oh, well, blessed, that means everything is good. I'm happy. Isn't that what blessing is? And not why we buy those things and hang them on our wall, blessings, and like this house is blessed and all that because we want to remind ourselves that we're blessed. Well, that's not what Jesus is actually talking about here. He's not talking about happiness. He's not talking about a feeling. Actually, what he's talking about is a situation. The word there for blessed means that we should, no matter in what situation, we ought to participate. That's what blessed really means. Or in another word, we're happy to be there. Kind of like a World Series parade, right? Or Six Flags. Or Thanksgiving dinner when you get to interact with your crazy uncle in a couple weeks. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're just happy to be there, right? He's not saying everything's good. He's saying you're happy to be where you are. And again, I want to point to you. It's interesting, isn't it? Of all the things that he could talk about in the sermon, the first words out of his mouth as he's describing the kingdom is, no, you're just happy to be there. See what I'm saying? Because if you're there, that means you're not where you were, right? And if you're here, that means you're looking at where he wants you to be. So I just want to reread these verses. And instead of saying blessed, I'm going to say happy. So maybe this will turn this for us this morning. And again, I'm not going too long because we have other things to do. Verse 3. Happy are those poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy. The way to inherit the kingdom is not to have it all together. So if you walked in this morning thinking, I don't know if I'm really in the kingdom or not because I don't have it all together. Actually, that's the exact place we should be. Not having it all figured out. But realizing and saying, you know what? Like, this is where I am, and this is not good, and this is good, and this part's not working right, and this part is. But you know what? I'm happy because I know I'm poor in spirit because my peace in the kingdom is not dependent upon my actions. It's dependent upon Jesus' sacrifice. The reason we get to be poor in spirit is because he is perfect, and we get to follow along him. Happier those are poor in the spirit because theirs is the kingdom. Verse 4, happy are those who mourn, for they will find comfort. I don't know if you've been in a mourning season recently or at some point. But what Jesus' promises here for his followers is this, that it might be the deepest place of hurt. It might be the deepest part of longing. It might not be the thing that you didn't think where you were going to be in this world and in your life. But there is a promise that we will find comfort. So I don't know about you, but like if that's where you are, I would say don't rush through the morning peace because we'll see the comfort and feel the comfort all the much more. Notice how each of these statements talk about present circumstances, but give a future promise. Isn't that true? Don't we see that? Presently, we might be poor in spirit. However, 
Ours is the kingdom of heaven, which is coming in its fulfillment. And we're waiting eagerly. Blessed or happier those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We will not be mourning forever. Jesus offers us a better way. Verse four, 5. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, meek doesn't mean weak. We, hear, we read meek as weak or meekness, right? That's not what it means. It means position. The strongest position to be in the kingdom is not to have it all figured out, not to be the strongest person in the room or have the most gift. It's to say, you know what? Wherever I am is where Jesus wants me to be, and I'm going to serve right there. I'm going to serve right there. Isn't that a we-centered value no matter what he's up to in my life, no matter where I am? That's where I'll be. And so I'll say, wherever you are, like, we might rank ourselves because we are accustomed to living with a scoreboard in our lives, right? Because that's easy to quantify. But God does not look at this room and think scoreboard. He doesn't look at this room and think gold, silver, or bronze medal. He doesn't look at this world and this room and his followers as someone who is just barely going to make it across the finish line. We've been in those, haven't we? We've been in those seasons where you're like, you know what? It's a hard season. It's almost like a race and you're running. And the goal of running a race is to finish the second half stronger than the first half. Well, haven't we always been in that? We've had those races where we just barely made it across the finish line. Blessed are the meek. Happy are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Just love that. So why don't you take yourself off the hook of performance this morning? Why don't you say, God, you can use me wherever I am, no matter what's going on in my world. Verse 6, just a few more. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. For some reason, I'm really thirsty this morning, and I'm, I'm thinking it doesn't matter how much water I drink, I'll probably be thirsty the rest of the day. There will come a day where you and I will never have hunger or thirst again. And I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually. You know, that thing that we are trying to fill, that little hole in our heart and in our soul and our spirit, that thing with, man, if God would just answer this prayer this way, or if this would happen in my life, I would have everything I need for him. Well, actually, he's saying, don't hunger for those things, hunger for righteousness. And they will be satisfied. So I think the most we-centered thing we could do this morning is push aside our own needs and say, God, what are your needs, number one? And number two, what are the needs of those around me? And will you use me to fill those needs? We take the attention off of ourselves and put it on the Lord because that's where satisfaction comes, is that God uses us no matter where we are, whether we're making the grade or we're struggling in a class or we're struggling in our job or in our family's life, or we have a health thing. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for him, for they will be satisfied. Satisfaction comes from the Lord. Verse 7, happy are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Um, I was picking up something this morning. This is really funny. Because this is usually how God's works, works, doesn't he? Like he... You know, like everything kind of gets in the way of you trying to go wherever it is you're supposed to go, especially on Sundays. And so here I am. I'm pulling into a store to grab something for this morning. And this other person just completely turns left. And like if I hadn't stopped like 
I would have probably died. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I would have died, but like, I mean, like it was clear they weren't stopping and I had the right of way. And so what I do, right? And so like I throw my hands up in disgust because how dare they cut me off like that at 7.30 in the morning. And then God reminded me, happy are the merciful for they receive mercy. Because I didn't feel mercy in that moment, right? Like I intentionally followed them through the parking lot just so I could mean mug them before I parked my car. You know what I mean? Like, thankfully, it was a large store, and I didn't have to run into them, because then it would have been really awkward, right? Happy are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. If you don't have a lot of mercy in your life, I'm wondering if Jesus is saying, right, because these are we-centered values, how much mercy are we showing those around us that need it? And here's the thing, like, if you're like, I don't know who needs mercy, everyone. Everyone needs mercy. We are all in need of mercy. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to be merciful. What does it look like for us to be a merciful person even when no one else deserves it? Because the reality of it is, is that we don't deserve God's mercy either, but yet he still grants it anyway. He still grants it anyway. Verse 8. Happier the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's a hard one, isn't it? Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Because I don't know about you, but like, there's a lot of things in this world that aren't really of him. And whatever you're thinking of, that's probably one part of the list, but there's all these other lists. And so have you noticed how everything gravitates towards our heart? Do you know that all marketing is geared towards second graders? And whatever you respond to, it's responding to the second grade part of your heart? Because marketers know. No, seriously, did you know that? All marketing is geared towards second graders because marketers know if you identify with a brand, like think about what car you drive right now. What's your favorite car? What brand? Is it Toyota or Nissan or Ford or Chevy? I mean, let's just, I mean, we could have a lot of fun and just have a Chevy Ford conversation this morning, couldn't we? Because Chevy people show mercy to Ford people and Ford people show mercy to Chevy people, don't they? No, they don't. They hate each other, right? (laughs) It's interesting. They hate each other so much, don't they? Right? They've got all the jokes, and you see all the stickers on the cars, you know, like 20 years ago or whatever, which, you know, we should bring those back. But churches should do that for other churches. No, I'm kidding. Anyway, um, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Because here's what markers know. They know if they can get you to attach significance to a brand by the time you're second grade. In second grade, you'll keep that brand loyalty for the rest of your life. Isn't that interesting? So whatever decision, whatever things you like, whatever items you like, that has been going on since you were 10 years old or however old you are in second grade because I don't remember anymore. Eight, is it eight, something like that? Yeah, that's right because I have a nine-year-old who's in third grade. Yeah, so that guy, that guy, God love him, like he's making decisions that he'll follow the rest of his life. But yet Jesus says, no, actually happy are the pure in heart for they will see God. And so it's the thing, it's like, if we could just leave a little more room for him in our lives, the pure intention of seeking his will and his kingdom first, we will see him in action because he lives right here, doesn't he? And so the more things I take a hold of or follow that's not of him, all I'm doing is covering up the spirit and the soul in which God already resides within me. But if I just take those little onion layers off and I say, God, you know what? I want to see you. I want to be pure in heart. Help me be the purest person I can, even though I want to murder someone in the parking lot because they cut me off. We get to see God. And here's the thing. 
How many things do you and I chase and we never see it fulfilled? But yet we have a God who founded the universe who says, I will reveal myself to you who are impure in heart. Isn't that a great promise? That we serve a God, we love a God, we follow a God who doesn't remain hidden. I'm I'm reminded of the the peace in the garden this morning in this verse where, you know, where Adam and Eve fall and like they're hiding from God and the fact that God was walking in the cool of the garden, right? And he goes, hey, Adam and Eve, like, where are you? And they're like, we're hiding. And why are you hiding? Because we're naked. And he's like, well, who told you we're naked? Because I don't remember telling you that you were naked, right? This is not really PG-13 sermon. It's just where, it's just where I'm going, right? What I think is interesting that God knew exactly where they were. They knew exactly, he knew exactly what, what was going on. And yet he revealed himself to them anyway. Don't you long for an existence to where we get to see God every day? Isn't that really what's behind our heart? I want this thing. I need this thing to work out in my favor. What we're really saying is, God, we just want to be in a relationship with you. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This call is not to be divisive in this world. There's enough division in the world, but actually we get to be peacemakers. We get to bring peace where there's conflict. We get to bring hope where there's no hope. We get to bring justice where there's no justice. We get to bring mercy where there's no mercy. Happy are the peacemakers. That is the corner that you and I should live on. A peacemaking corner. Happy are those who are persecuted for theirs as the kingdom of heaven. If we don't ever experience any pushback, then we're probably not in the right place. Isn't that true? Because I think Satan wants nothing else for us than to just walk along our merry lives and be distracted. So if you're experiencing pushback this morning, I would say that actually that's a great sign. If you're like, you know what, maybe you should change direction, that's a good sign. If you want to follow God more, I think that's a good sign. And then number the last one, verse 11, happier those who are reviled and slandered and persecuted. Because make no mistake, there is a kingdom of the air, Satan is his name, who wants nothing of you to have anything to do with God. Nothing. He doesn't want this. He doesn't want discipleship. He doesn't want spiritual relationships. He doesn't want loving people well when they cut you off at 730 in the morning. He doesn't want any of that. But when we do the things in the previous 10 verses, we'll probably experience a little discomfort. And again, if you're like, how do I know if I'm on the right path? I think if you're experiencing a little discomfort in this world and in your life, then I would say you're probably on the right path. Which brings us to the last truth. Truth number four. We, let's say you, because this is we language, we can find Contentment in all things through Christ. And it is there to be had. And contentment is something that we will take hold of, but also something we experience when we say, you know what? I'm going to be happy in the situation that I find myself in. I'm going to be content with where I am, whether it's exactly what I want or nothing of what I want, because I know that there is a God in heaven who is up to things that are larger and bigger than what I can see or feel. Amen? Amen. And so as we hear God's truth, when we turn our attention to our hearts, 
we have an opportunity to respond, right? That's my hope, is that you'll respond this morning. And when we have an opportunity to respond, we have the opportunity to be changed. Because God doesn't want us just doing this because we like each other. He wants us to change and to grow. And so when we find ourselves to be happy in all situations like the ones that Jesus has talked about, no matter the circumstances, the closer we are to being more like him and the closer heaven gets. You see that, right? Because that's the point, right? You realize heaven is invading this planet and will come back to be fulfilled completely, right? Heaven is getting closer and closer by the moment. And no matter what our circumstances are, whether they're saying you're getting closer, you're getting further away, the more we are to be happy where we are and find contentment in the worst of circumstances, the more we are like Jesus. Because just like prayer is positional, so is our heart. And my question to you is all those situations, whether you're, let me get back to them, whether we're poor in spirit or we're mourning or we're meek or we're hungry for, th- for righteousness or merciful or pure in heart or we're peacemakers or we're being slandered, no matter where we are, which one should you be in right now that you're avoiding? That's question one. And then question two is which one are you moving yourself, which one is he moving you from to? Because we never stay static. Amen? Ben's going to come back up. I just, I'm going to say something to you, to you guys in a minute. Um, I think it's not a coincidence that we're talking about these attitudes this morning. Because I think is some of you that know the Brubakers, they embody these these beatitudes so well. They don't do it perfectly like no one else does. But what I want you guys to walk away with is you're moving from one season to the next. Is that you guys have found contentment in some really hard places, and you'll find contentment in where you're headed. And I mean that. And so, my que- so what I want you to do is, before they res- respond, is I want you to embrace where God has you. Embrace where you are. Because the only way we get from where we are to the next thing is if we don't go around it, we don't go under it, we don't go over it, we go through it. We've got to go through it. And the only way we go through something is we embrace it. We embrace it. And so my ask of you is to embrace where God has you, not where God had you, where God wants you to be. I was traveling this week. I got a chance to go to a conference I went to last year and such a blessing to be around pastors and other staff and to just sit in a service and worship and not feel like you have to own the agenda. Like that's it's vacation in a lot of ways. I know a lot of us serve in different ministries. I get that. I just want to say thank you and understand the price that 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 cost I was listening to a song in my little rental car and it's a song by Madison Ward called Seasons and I just want to read you like the first verse and then we'll sing it's a great song it's kind of a it's not my typical song I'm but it's it's kind of a stripped down acoustic song that's not usually my personality But it says this, she says, nobody's ever told the winter, move on, it's time for spring. 
old man winter is going to sit right there till he's done his thing. Isn't that great? I love that lyric. But then there's this, and this is what I have for us. No matter where you are, embrace where you are because this is how we move forward, right? Time ain't something you can push and shove even when you think you've had enough. Might as well find your song and prayer to pray. Because they're going to come, they're going to go, might move fast, might move slow, might bring sunshine, might bring rain, full of joy or full of pain. But for anybody out there feeling afraid that you're going to be stuck in the same old place, seasons always change. Seasons always change. So remember, the goal is not to wish what we had or hope for tomorrow, but right here, right now, you and I have a chance to say yes to the Lord and embrace the contentment that He can only offer. Amen? Would you stand and pray with me? Lord, thank you. I thank you that you're the God and I'm not. I'm thankful that you see the entire road and I don't. And God, I thank you that you see where each of us right now in this moment, right where we are. And somehow perfectly, you are able to manage and cause all of us to walk towards you and towards your kingdom. And so as we respond, Lord, right where we are, Lord, will you show us who you want us to be? Because when we get that part right, when we see what it is for us in this season to be, the doing and the hands will follow. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll speak. It's in your name. Amen.